16. Please turn there in the word of the Lord. Good to see all of you here tonight. Pray that you are doing well. Amen. 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 All right. The book of wisdom. We need all the wisdom we can get. Amen. Okay, verse 1. If you have it, say praise the Lord. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. And I will just read that one verse and we'll pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing, God, to be upon the reading of your holy word. We focus our minds, our hearts, our thoughts, our spirit, our bodies, God, to be glorify you tonight. Lord Jesus, God, we praise you. We thank you for the anointing, the inspiration to speak your word, to hear it, and to receive it. Lord, we want to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right, book of Proverbs. Every chapter has many, many different uh, things of wisdom and truth that we look at. So it's... Uh, a little bit different. It's not like preaching narrative where you can you can stand up and preach the narrative or the story. Uh, every verse basically has a different thought. So we have to read every verse and then teach it to you. So it's a little time consuming to do that. To go and to read every verse and then talk about every verse. Okay, so uh, you'll understand this is a different type of book that we're preaching and teaching from. Okay, first verse, every wise woman, say wise woman, <clears throat> builds her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Amen? Now, uh, I think you know this, that men have the, from God, the position of authority in the house, okay? But women have the power of influence, okay? Uh, when you study the Word of God, especially when you get into the kings, you will see the kings of Israel. How many of y'all remember the northern kingdom? The kings of Israel, after they divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, ten tribes, and then the two kingdoms, the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, when you study the kings of Israel, there is not a lot said about the mothers of those kings, which is very interesting because there wasn't one good king among all the kings of Israel. Not one good king. Every king in the northern kingdom was a bad king. Now you have references to women like Jezebel. She was married to Omri or Ahab. And they had a daughter named Athaliah. Athaliah, well she was wicked. She was as wicked as, as her mother was. But there's not a lot said about the mothers of the kings of Israel. Now when you study the kings of Judah, which we have, we've gone through the kings in detail, You'll remember that when we got into studying the, the kings of Judah, that uh, that's where the emphasis upon the mothers were placed, okay? When you study the kings of Judah, there were sporadic kings in Judah. There were good kings and bad kings in Judah. Remember in Israel, no kings, at, good kings at all. But in Judah, good kings and bad kings. And they were sporadic. So you'd have a good king, then a bad king, good king, bad king, so on and so forth. So it doesn't seem like that there was a, a real pattern as to the individual kings themselves, okay? But when you study the mothers of the kings of Judah, you will find that a bad mother over a son of the... Uh, there was a king of Judah, 
had tremendous influence upon her son. Okay? The bad mother in the kings of Judah were actually had more influence than the good mothers did. Okay? So again, the kings of Judah, there was a focus upon the mothers. You had bad mothers, they produced some bad sons. And then you had some good mothers in the kings of Judah, and they produced some good sons. And you'll see as you study the kings that God specifically focuses on certain attributes of certain women uh, that were mothers of those kings, whether they be good or they were bad, okay? So when we look at the Word of God, we see that, that throughout the Word of God, that's a true statement. So there are women that build their house. Now, a wise woman that builds their house, how do you build your house as a wise woman? Well, first of all, God is going to be in, in your house. You're going to be a woman uh, who focuses on God, who focuses on the Word of God, who seeks to have a godly home, influence your home in a godly way, raise your children in the things of God. That's a wise woman. Amen? Uh, an unwise woman does not care about the things of God. Okay? And so uh, she is going to run her home. Now, so you can be a good mother, a good woman, and have a good outcome to build your house. Or as the Bible says right here, that a foolish woman is going to tear her house down. Okay? That means you have the ability as a woman to be a, a, a home wrecker. You are either a home builder as a woman or you are a home wrecker. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. <laughs> I'm just giving you the word of God. So you have to make up your mind as a woman. Are you going to be a wise woman that's a home builder? Or are you going to be a, a foolish woman that's a, a, a home wrecker? You can run your house. Okay, amen? Now, if you study the Word of God, you will see that there were children who had bad daddies, okay? And some of them uh, became great in the kingdom of God with bad daddies. But very rarely will you ever find anybody in the Word of God that had a bad mama that turned out any good. Because a woman has tremendous influence, and God made it that way. He puts you in your house as a woman to have great influence on your house. You have the power of influence to either tear it down and destroy it and to ruin it. Or you have the power of influence to build it up. So you've got to make, a, make up your mind and choose which one you're going to be. You're going to be the home builder or the home wrecker. Amen. Yeah, because you've got a lot of influence as a woman in your house. Amen. Praise the Lord. How many of y'all want to be home builders? If you're a woman tonight, you want to be a home builder. And I blame preaching to wise women. They want to be home builders, not home wreckers. Hallelujah. So, amen. As the Word of God says, every wise woman is going to build her house. If you're a foolish woman, then you're going to tear it down. You're always going to be tearing it down. Hallelujah. Amen. It's easy to tear something down. How many of y'all know that's the truth? It's easy to tear something down. It's hard to build. Or you build something up, and then somebody can come along and tear it down and Something that took years to build and come in just a short period of time, just wipe it out. It's easy to tear things down, but it's hard to build. And it's hard to be a wise woman at times. Amen. But you've got the, the help of God and the grace of God to be there with you to, to help you build 
and he's not saying, remember, notice, he doesn't say a perfect woman. He didn't say perfect, he says wise. It's, it's the way you handle things in life that come to you, the way that you handle things that uh, you have to deal with, responsibilities, praise the Lord, that come to you in your home. I mean, you can handle them with wisdom, or you can handle them with foolishness. So, yeah, nobody's perfect. And everybody needs God. We all need God. Especially the women need God. You've got a big job on your hands. Amen. To me, I think the women have a bigger job than the men do. The men go out and they, they bring home income. They bring home bread. Finances support you, you know. But that woman is at home wrestling with those kids on a daily basis. Making sure they get the schoolwork done. And cleaning the house and cooking and all of those responsibilities. I personally think the woman has the biggest job. Okay? Man goes off, he makes some money, comes home, and normally goes hides in his corner somewhere. Okay? And the wife is begging, please come and help me. You know, well, I did what I was supposed to do. I went to work today and I made some money for you. Well, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Amen? But I'm just telling you that's the way it is. The woman has a big, big job on her hands. and So I thank God for all you women of God here today. We have a desire to build, build something and not tear it down. Have a desire to, to not be a home wrecker, but a home builder. So may the Lord bless you real good. And He'll help you if you ask Him for wisdom. You don't have wisdom, you don't know what to do, just ask Him. And God will give you the wisdom that you need to help you. Praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, it takes a long time to, to develop in the kind of woman that you're supposed to be. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time. Amen. Praise the Lord. And probably by the time you, you've got it all figured out and you're qualified to be the, the greatest mother the world's ever seen, it's time for you to go home to be with the Lord. So just remember, you're going to make mistakes, but just keep going to God in prayer and say, God, help me to be a better mom and show me how to do it and teach me your ways and, and I'll, build, I'll build and not wreck. Amen. Praise the Lord. I tell you, there's nothing like a good woman, man. But there's nothing like a bad woman either. <laughs> bad women are bad. Hallelujah. Amen? So anyway, we want to cover anything else. But Verse 2, uh, He that walketh, now we sort of focus on the husband now. He, say he, that walketh in his uprightness feareth the Lord. But he that is perverse in his ways despiseth him very quickly, very simply. You just read it, it's there, right? Amen. If you fear God, you're going to walk upright. If you don't fear God, you're not worried about doing what's right. Amen. Now, how, what is the thing that will keep you and I from sinning against God? The fear. The fear of God. That's right. You say, well, the love of God. But the love of God, I don't think the love of God will keep you from sinning against God. But I do believe that a fear of God will keep you from sinning against God. Amen. Praise the Lord. So that's why it says the fear of the Lord will cause you to walk uprightly. Uh, but the perverse, they despise Him. There's some people that actually despise God Almighty. <clears throat> Verse 3, In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. So the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride. Amen. So what motivates the fool is his pride. And uh, most of the time, you know where that pride comes from? When it's coming out of the mouth, it's coming from bitterness. So bitterness creates pride. 
And that begins to flow out of the mouth of the fool. It is saying things it shouldn't say or whatever. Amen. And ultimately, the Bible talks about it's a rod. So that means ultimately there will be punishment where they will come to the fool. Amen. All right, let's keep going. Verse 4. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of an ox. That's a powerful statement, right? So if you've got an ox in a stall, and I don't know of too many of you here today that have oxen at home, but if you've got an ox in the stall, right, well, what are you going to have? You're going to have manure in there. Okay? But if you've got an ox, what does the ox do? The ox is a producer. The ox it goes out and plows big wide fields, right? It's a producer. But to have a producer, you have to clean up. To have the ox, you gotta have, you, you have to clean necessary to clean the, the stall, right? So, okay, well, you know what you do if you don't want to clean up the mess? You kill the ox. And so then you'll have an empty stall. You won't have any ox, and guess what? You won't have anything to clean up either. But as long as you have an ox, a producer, it's going to cost you something, and you're going to have to clean up the mess. Say praise the Lord. How we all believe the Word of God today? In life, when you, if you're a producer, there's not a lot you can do in life when it, call, when it comes to production when you're actually producing something, that there's going to be something that's related to it that's a mess. You see? So if you're not a producer, you'll never have a mess. If you never do anything, you'll never have a mess. Right? But if you're a producer, you're like the ox, then you've got to clean up the mess. Hallelujah. So some of you, some of you parents want to ship your kids out. And say, man, I, I just need to ship you out. We'll send you somewhere else. I'm tired of cleaning up after you. Well, yeah, you can do that. You can get rid of your kids, and you won't have a mess, but you won't have no kids in your house either. If you want kids, you're going to have a mess. And some of y'all say, where did I get it? Well, that's, that's the principle. Amen? Same thing as a pastor. As a pastor. Right? I pastor people. And when you pastor people, everybody has a bunch of mess. Amen? And the easiest way to handle, easiest way to handle people's mess, okay, is to send them on their way. No, seriously. You know, I'm, I'm tired of messing with you, dealing with your problems, dealing with your mess. So you just go on. Well, I don't have the mess anymore. But do, neither do I have the possibility of production from that person. So that will govern your decision, man. So I'm going here. I'm clean house, man. All the problems. I clean house all the problems. Guess what? There won't be no production. Won't have no mess. Won't have no problems. But won't have no people producing either. So sometimes you have to understand that you have to be willing to put up with the mess. And if you are, eventually, eventually, praise God, by some direction and instruction, the people that have problems will change and they'll become awesome producers in the kingdom of God. Amen? Now this is a biblical thing. It's a biblical thing. 
I've seen some people in our pastor people through the years, you know, man, they were a mess. Their life was a mess. I mean, I'm on the phone with them almost every week. Dealing with one problem after another, one situation, situation after another, one mess after another. And, and the thought has crossed my mind. It might be better if they go somewhere else. Now, I'm sorry, but it, it did cross my mind. Amen. And I'd be one less mess. But if I don't do that, and I am patient, and I just seek to keep working with the problem, keep working with the mess, keep working with the situation, I have seen people turn and change and become tremendous producers in the kingdom of God. Say praise the Lord. So when you, you're, you know, sitting around fussing and fussing, fussing, disgusted and fussing, about the messes and everything, just remember there might be some production that's taking place. Right? Amen. Hallelujah. Sister Christina shouldn't complain about my desk being messy. Because I'm getting something done. Hallelujah. <laughs> but you get the point, right? So from a, a perspective of a pastor, I can just run all of you off. I'm just added up to here with you. I'm tired of dealing with you. You know, you just need to go. Praise the Lord. Amen. But I'm so glad that I don't do that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because with some time, the ox is going to plow the field. And there's going to be some production. Now, having said that, the Word of God likens the ministry to an ox. Amen. So if you don't want a pastor in your life, well, praise God, you don't have to worry about the upkeep, the pastor. You don't have to worry about supporting him or anything like that or putting up with him. Just get rid of him. Hallelujah. Kill the ox. Kill the pastor. Be done. Don't, don't let him in your life anymore. Right? Maybe you won't have a mess. No, the upkeep's what I'm talking about. I'm just telling you, anything in, that's going to produce in life most of the time has something that has to be cleaned up in the process. You know, we're people in this big old debate, you know, about environmental things, you know, and well, we don't want to destroy the environment by drilling for oil. Well, production is gonna there's gonna be a necessary mess if you're gonna have production. If you're gonna have oil, you gotta drill for it. That means there's going to be a mess. So, I mean, a lot of this stuff that people get into debates, they just go to the Word of God. The Word of God gives you the answer. Hallelujah. So before you start getting you fussing and disgusted about everything, you know, and everything's not just exactly tidy like you want it to be, and everything's not in exactly the right place it's supposed to be at, you, instead of fussing about that, remember, there's a way, you know, not to have that out of place, and that's just not have anybody around you. And then you get it just just exactly the way you want it. If you got people around you, they're going to create some mess. But not only that, eventually they're going to be producers. You remember the Word of God, hallelujah? Before you pull a trigger on people in a situation and say, you're out of here, get out of here. Just remember, yeah, you got a clean stall. But that's about it. Now, it, if I meet you in my office and I say it's time for you to go, don't quote that verse to me. 
Because then I might have to let you stay. Okay? Because you're a wise servant. Know the word of God. Amen. Say praise the Lord. I don't even know if you didn't have a bunch of kids running around, you wouldn't have such a messy house. Yeah, we'll get rid of the kids. Ship them out, put them on the bus, send them whatever you want to send them. You don't have the mess, so you don't have your kids around you anymore, do you? You get the point. Sometimes then, so you need to accept the mess that comes with the ox. Stop fussing and fighting all the time, being disgusted all the time about the mess, okay? Amen? I mean, we, we know we needed to be cleaned up. We're going to go clean it up. We're going to get the manure out of there. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We know. Yeah. Anybody with me on that? People go to work and say, this place, it's a mess where I work. Well, that's why they hired you, to straighten it up. If there wasn't a problem at that workplace, if there wasn't something that you could fix, if it was all clean, they wouldn't need you. Right? But because there's uh, situations and problems there, they know that you can fix and you can take care of and you can oversee. That's why they hired you. So don't always fuss and fight about all the situations that you have to deal with at your workplace because if you didn't have those situations, you wouldn't even be needed. Amen? I can, I can complain all day long about pastoring people and all oh and people got to drive me crazy, man. I'm about to lose my mind. You know, I, I don't ever say that. I just think it. Right? But I wouldn't be needed if there were no people. Praise God. Amen. So which do you want? You want a clean stall and and no ox? Or do you want an ox and an unclean stall? I've got to clean up some stuff. Praise the Lord. Can't have, what he's basically saying, you can't have it both ways. You can't have production without a mess. Okay. So, oh, all right, I get it. I'm going on. I, I read your eyes. You're telling me to go on. Now, I can hear some of these men. They're going to, they're going to look at their wife. They're going to say, this is production. <laughs> Big old mess. This pastor said this was production. <laughs> and and then when the wife starts getting on to you, say, now now a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman tears it down, honey. Amen. I know I'm good to, uh, doing a good job when you start talking back to me. Panana. Panana's coming. We don't want Panana. Amen. Verse 5, a faithful witness shall not or will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. I mean, that's pretty basically understood, right? You got the false and you got the true. Amen. A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not, but knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. That is such a powerful statement. A scorner is somebody who's mocking. They mock the things of God. Okay? So a scorner seeketh wisdom and finds it not, 
Why is that? Why don't they find it? Well, would you get 2 Timothy 3 for me? Uh, 6 through 7. And brother, would you get John 8 for me? And uh, 47. Okay, let's look at something. The Bible tells us about a people that are ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, why is that? Why are there some people out there like this scorner who's seeking wisdom but never finds it. Amen? Read it for me. Okay. Ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's some people that are like that. Now, look at what Jesus said in John 8, 47. He that is of God heareth God's words, yea, therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Read that again, please, brother. He that is of God. He, okay, he that is of God. Heareth God's words. Heareth God's words. Thank you, brother. Okay. So the reason why the scorner is always seeking wisdom but never finds it is because he doesn't seek the will of God. He doesn't want the will of God to be done in his life. Okay? Now, for example, let me give you an example. Okay, go to Acts 17, brother, please. Acts 17, 22 through 23. Either one of you men, please. And I'm going to show you an example of this. How many of you have heard of the Greeks? Remember the Greek philosophers? Oh, man. Hundreds and hundreds of years of speculating on philosophy, philosophical thought, right? Looking for truth, seeking truth. Greeks, that was their goal in life, was to learn something. Okay? To know something, to learn something, to have more and more knowledge. And so for 500 years, you had these philosophers that came along. And all they could produce, as far as religion was concerned, was a bunch of fables. Okay? They had a God, a God, for every pursuit in life. That's their great, that's where their smarts and their philosophy and their wisdom led them. Was simply, as far as religion is concerned, is that we got a God for every pursuit in life. So if I want to get drunk, I serve the God Bacchus. If I want to pursue sex, then I serve Aphrodite. And so on and so forth. Okay? If I want to, I want to seek Purity, I seek, I seek to follow the God Artemis. So, when you study Greek, the Greek false gods, they had a God for every pursuit in life, brothers and sisters. And so their religion then was nothing but a bunch of fables. And for about 500 years, they spent speculating on philosophy, trying to find knowledge. And you know what it brought him to? Read. Acts 17, please, or one of you brothers. You're too religious. You're too superstitious. Read. Did you catch that? For 500 years... They looked for truth. 
ever learning, but not able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 500 years speculating. Amen? And where did it lead them? It led them to an altar which had the inscription upon it, to the unknown God. You with me? They had a God forever pursuing life, but just in case they might have missed one, they had this altar to the unknown God. And Paul said, I'm going to preach Him to you. And he preached Jesus Christ to them. And you know what they did? They scoffed at His preaching. Because they were too wise. They thought. Their wisdom was rooted in humanism. Humanistic thought. Not in the revelation of God Almighty. So you can have a lot of brain power. You can have a lot of knowledge about various subjects but not know the truth. Because the truth is found in Jesus Christ. Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And truth was standing right in front of him. Amen? So you get people like the Greeks, oh, they're all, man, they're all about philosophy, man. We got a lot of philosophers today. They'll bring their own opinions and own ideas, even in the church. And they think they're so smart, but really they're scoffers. They're mocking the truth. And the Bible says they are not able to find the truth because they don't, they're not willing to bow their knee to Jesus Christ and serve Him. Now, if you, if you obey His doctrine, you will know God. How are you going to know God? By obeying God's Word. Amen? Now look at what the verse continues to say here. It says, A scorner seeketh wisdom, and findeth it not. But knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. Knowledge is easy. Okay? So I was thinking about Branson today. Where's Branson? There he is. Okay? I was thinking about Branson. I can tell Branson about Jesus Christ, and he gets it just like that. He doesn't have any problem understanding Jesus. He doesn't have any problem understanding about the faith about what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and he has no problem understanding, right? You teach a little child the things of God, and they get that knowledge and they understand quickly, right? Because it's easy to understand if you want to serve the Lord. If you don't want to serve Him, then you're going to be caught up in endless genealogies and endless philosophies of life, and you're going to have your own opinions about everything. It's only the person that's willing to bow to Jesus Christ that can get it real quick. Now you sit over here, you teach, teach a little child a big old long dissertation on philosophy, they'll just look at you. Okay? But you teach them the, the very base, you teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they'll get it every time. Say hallelujah. It's not hard. It is not hard to understand the gospel. It's not hard to understand the message that we preach. It's hard to understand philosophy, though. Yeah. This depends on do you want to serve the Lord or not? You don't want to serve Him. You're mocking the things of God. You're never going to come to the knowledge of the truth. Because you're going to always rely upon your own ideas. Verse 7, Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceiveth not in him the lips of knowledge. 
How many of y'all know? Y'all been around somebody that talks when they talk, all they do is talk a bunch of nonsense? Then why do you keep hanging around them? <laughs> why do you keep listening to people? They just want to talk and talk and talk and talk. And, and they don't say anything, right? That's worthwhile. But you want to keep, you want to keep listening. No, the Bible says what you do, get around somebody like that, they're just talking a bunch of nonsense, is get away from them. Pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> I'll leave the application with you. Amen. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. The foolishness of fools is deceit, but the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his ways. He wants to know the truth. Amen? But the person who's a fool, you know what they do? Instead of wanting to walk in the truth and reality, they live in an illusion. A lot of people live in illusions today. They live in deceit. Okay? Verse 9, fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is what? Favor. Now this is powerful because in the language, the original language of the Hebrew, where it says fools make a mock at sin, the word is sin offering. Okay? The Hebrew word means the sin offering. They mock the sin offering. Now we have an example of that in the Word of God is Cain and Abel. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, please. And the Bible tells us there in chapter 11 and verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. What did he offer God? A sin offering. He brought, he brought a, an offering, a blood offering to God to cover his sin. You with me? Let's keep reading. So Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than who? Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. And what God is saying. God testified of the righteousness of Abel because of the offering that he brought. God said Abel was a true man of God, a true man of faith, because he brought the offering that God required him to bring to cover his sin, and that was a blood sacrifice. Whereas Cain, you know the story in the book of Genesis, Cain, no. What's this deal about blood? What's this deal about shedding blood? He said, nah, I'll just bring the fruit of my ground, the fruit of, I'll go to my garden, and I'll pick some vegetables out of my garden. And I'll offer that to God, a bloodless sacrifice. And God rejected Cain's religion. Cain was trying to approach God on his own terms. A sacrifice without blood. And God rejected Cain, his offering. Therefore, he rejected his religion and he accepted Abel. And Cain got angry. Because his offering was rejected and Abel's was accepted. And he killed his brother as a result of that jealousy. Okay? So Cain is then a picture of somebody, and I wish I had time. Maybe sometime I'll preach you the steps of Cain where he went wrong. I don't have time to do it tonight. 
But Cain mocked the sin offering, was able, honored, and glorified God, and said, Lord, you require a sin offering to cover our, my sin, so I'm going to offer that to you by faith. And he killed the lamb. And God accepted that blood sacrifice to make an atonement to cover his sin. Amen? And God testified about his sacrifice that it was the right one and it proved that he was a man of righteousness. Amen. Now it's basically understood this way. Jesus Christ is the sin offering. And you start telling some people that Jesus died on the cross to take away your sin, they will look at you like you've lost your mind. How can the blood of a, of a person... What does that have any to, anything to do with the taking away of the forgiveness of my sin? The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. They don't understand the message that we preach. That Jesus, listen, Jesus didn't die as a martyr. When anybody ever says Jesus died as a martyr, he did not die as a martyr. He died as a sin offering, a sacrifice, so that your and my sin could be forgiven. There are a lot of people that have been martyred, but they weren't the sin offering. And religious people today, see, they, they want to be a part of a religion that don't have a crucified Jesus. They want to be a part of a religion that has a, has a Savior that didn't shed blood. But that's the person that mocks the sin offering. The Bible says here, Amen. The fool, a fool makes a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. And that's Abel. Verse 10. The heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. The heart knoweth his own bitterness. Okay, here I want to show you. Every individual knows in life that you're going to experience pain, and you're going to experience joy. That's just the way life is, as long as you live. And when I'm going through a time of suffering or sorrow in my heart, I appreciate you when you come to me and you try to encourage me. But ultimately, there's really nothing you can do. Do you know what I'm saying? Because every one of us, what this is teaching you, is every one of us has a heart, and every one, you're going to have to go through life, and you're going to have to experience bitterness and joy as an individual. And when you do, it's, it's your own. It's yours. It's not mine. My pain, my joy, my pain's not yours, my joy's not yours. It's mine. I own it. Same thing, brother and sister, with you. Your pain, your joy, it's yours. It belongs to you. It's your own. Right? And obviously we want to encourage those that are down. And uh, we want to afflict those that are happy. No, not really. We don't want you happy. No, I, but what I'm trying to say is no human being ultimately can change that for you. So what's the point of, the, of this awesome statement of wisdom? Is that in life, when you're experiencing pain or suffering, you have to find God in it. 
you have to, okay, I'm going through this. If I'm, I'm happy, I'm looking for God in my joy. Okay? If I'm sad and I'm suffering, I'm going through something, the right way to handle it is to look for God in that pain. Not Where you're going to mess up is you're going to look for somebody to come and take it away from you. And you get disappointed or discouraged because nobody wants to come and enter into your pity party. Why aren't they there for me? When I understand what you're saying, we need each other. But ultimately, everybody has their own heart, own individual pain, own individual joy that you're going to have to go through. And you on an individual basis is going to have to somehow find God in everything that you go through in life. There's things my wife goes through. I try to comfort her. I try to encourage her. But ultimately, it's she's going to have to find God in it. Same thing for me. Say praise the Lord. And often, many times, y'all, appreciate y'all, y'all have come and encouraged me. Very difficult times and come encourage me. And really, you, you made a change in my life. You did, okay? But ultimately, the pain didn't go away. The suffering didn't go away. All right? I just had to tr somehow find God in it. And when you do, it's amazing when you find God in life, you find God in your pain, you find God in your suffering, you find God in your joy. It is amazing what that does for you as an individual. Because somebody can stand around and comfort you and counsel you until, you know, the cows come home. But until you find the answer, until you find God in it, it's still there. It's in your heart. You own it. It's yours, man. Praise the Lord. Ooh, it's amazing the way God works. See, right now, you know, right now, I'll be honest with you, I'm walking in more peace, and, and I would say peace is the word, than I've had in years. You know why? Not necessarily that, that the bad stuff stopped happening or disappointments stopped coming. It's just, I just... Through time, God has helped me to be able to find God, to look for God in things, not that I didn't before, but now when I say something, Lord, I'm trusting you, I'm really trusting him. To the point my emotion's not even in it. Woo! Say praise the Lord. Before I say I trust God, and I did, because I didn't take it into my hands and try to control the outcome. But my emotion was still in it. Man, I've, I, I'm in a situation, I totally trust God. Man, i got so much peace. Hallelujah. Amen. And the only time I don't have peace is when I'm worried about you. Okay? And I do. I worry about some of y'all. But I have a lot of peace as far as my own family is concerned. And uh, my, my life. My life. You know what I'm saying? And it takes... That's a miracle of God, really. To live life and to come at some point in your life and find peace. Find peace. Why? Because you found God. And if you look long enough and you're patient enough, you'll find God in your pain. You will find God in your suffering. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I speak to you, I give you a testimony. It's a reality. Amen.
So everybody, you have to realize, you own it. You have a heart. How many of y'all have a heart? A few of you got a heart? Got a few of you got a heart? The heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. Hallelujah. It's the way it is, man. You got to find God in it. Look for God. How many going to look for God? Before you get out of this planet, off this planet, before you get into heaven, you're going to go through a lot. Amen? And I know before it's all said and done, I'm going to go through some more things. The key to that heart, that that's bitterness, is to find God. That's right, man. Look for God. That's it. Verse 11, the house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. Now, I want you to notice something, the word tabernacle. What does that make you think of? Anybody having church over here? <laughs> Good. Okay. What, when you think of the tabernacle, what do you think of? Huh? Y'all can talk a little louder. Church, right. Okay, but what do you find in the tabernacle? Of Moses or David. You're talking about tabernacle. Well, why did they build the tabernacle? Huh? The presence of God. There you go. It's not, there's not a trick question. My, my son had, takes school, you know, and uh, the, he has these tests. It doesn't even match the textbook. And it gets crazy. They're like trick, trick questions, you know. So I called his instructor on computer the other day, and I said, man, I said, it's like they give you trick questions to, trick you, to trip you up, and, uh, you know, because if he fails one test, they expect him to do an 80 or above, okay, on everything, on the test, right? So he was under an 80, and so they keep reissuing you another test, and it's brand new. It's totally different than the one you took before, and it don't make any sense either. And then you fail that, and then they issue a totally different brand new test, and it don't make any sense either. So I called his instructor, and I said, man, i am be honest with you, this course is not user-friendly. <laughs> so I told him, this course is not user-friendly. I said, they really are struggling with this. And you know, he said, he said, you know, he said, this is a brand new course, we're just now starting. And he said, I'm having to learn the course, right along with Jeremiah. <laughs> and I said, well, I see, we're talking, I said, would it be possible for you just to reassign the same test that he failed the first time, that way he know what's on it? He said, oh, that'll work for me, because that'll help me too, because then I don't have to grade the other ones. I said, hey, well, praise the Lord. And I'm still waiting for Jeremiah to say, thank you, Daddy. <laughs> Amen. So anyway, that wasn't a trick question. When I asked you what about the tabernacle, what is the tabernacle? It's the presence of God. So he's talking about a house and a tabernacle. What he's talking about is you've got... The dwelling place of different kinds of spirits. Now I want you to hear this. 
Look at it again, please. The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. Why? Because the tabernacle of the upright has the presence of God in it. The house of the wicked is going to be overthrown. You know why? Because in contrast to that, there are spirits that dwell in the house of the wicked. And I mean literally. People talk about haunted houses and people laugh about that. That's the re It's real in some cases where you have spirits. They're not departed loved ones. They are demonic spirits that have taken residence in their house and they have poltergeist effects upon that house. It's real. So you have a contrast to the tabernacle of the righteous where the presence of God is, the Spirit of God is. See, I can walk into some of your houses right now and when I walk through that door, I'm going to feel God. I remember when I would walk into the house of my pastor years ago, Sister Christina, and I'd walk in Brother Smelser's house. And I, I'm t as soon as I walked in his house, you could feel the presence of God. There was a tranquility. There was a peace that was in that house every time that I went there. Is that not right, Christina? That's the truth. Because in the tabernacle of the righteous, you've got the presence of God. And I can walk into your house right now, and someday I may come and just pay you a visit, just surprise you, shock you completely to death, knock on your door, stand out in the front. You know, I came to visit you. I normally don't do that. I normally don't come without telling you I'm coming. But, okay, praise the Lord. I want to make sure you're fully dressed. <laughs> but I can walk in your house and I, I know there's the, the presence of God is here. There's the peace of God here. It doesn't mean there's not battles in life and things you've got to clean up after the ox. <laughs> God is there. Amen. I dropped by Brother Mark and Sister Sonia's house the other day. You know, not uninvited, but uh, Amen. And I walked in their house and I could feel God. The presence of God was there. You could feel God. And that brother Marsh probably shocked. He's back there. He's... He's waiting for me to say, what'd you find in there, Pastor? What, what spirit? No, I could feel the presence of God. You know, I knew that that was a Christian home. Amen. Obviously, I was looking for it because I know the kind of people they are. So I was looking for the presence of God. I was looking for that kind of atmosphere and it was there. Hallelujah. You know. Amen. Even the dog wasn't too bad. It just a little old dog about that tall jumped up there and scratched the back of your legs, you know. <laughs> but it didn't do too much damage. You know, you're going to feel the presence of God there. I'm, I'm just kidding. It didn't do no damage. Amen. So when when somebody has God in their in their home, you know it. You can feel the presence of God there. Amen. On the other hand, there are some houses, the house of the wicked, 
that God does not dwell in that house. And aside from haunted houses where you actually have demonic activity appearing, I'm talking about manifestation of spirits. People say, yeah, I saw this. I saw this person. I saw that. You say, oh, you're all laughing. You're laughing. That's not real. <laughs> yeah, it's real. Okay. Some people's homes, instead of the presence of God being there, there are demonic spirits that move in that house. And they might not have, you know, poltergeist effects. They might be not be moving crops and changing times and, and all of that stuff or slamming doors, whatever. But there are spirits that live in the house of the wicked. And you can walk into certain... Woo! Hallelujah! I remember one time we were in Estes Park. My wife and I went to Estes Park and my kids vacation up in the Rocky Mountains. And there's a big old white house there, man. Big old white. They turned it into a hotel, right? And so we drove up to that, saw this big old white house. And uh, I told my wife, I said, and this is before we found out about this house. I told my wife, I said, there's something strange about Estes Park. I said, every time I come here, I get an eerie feeling. Remember, I told you, Dennis, it's Christina. I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know why when I went to Estes Park. It's a beautiful place. Elk, running, beautiful, beautiful place. But just eerie. And I think, was it maybe the, it wasn't the first time we went, but another, maybe the second or third time we went. I found out that that big old white house that in Estes Park, they filmed the movie The Shining there. Okay. Now, I've never watched, I've seen parts of The Shining, but I've never watched the whole thing. But from what I understand, The Shining is a, is a eerie, you know, one of them horror movies. When I found that out, I knew exactly what I was feeling when I went to Estes Park. So when you have God in you, you can discern the spirit world around you. Evil spirits are angels and God in locations. Hallelujah. The habitation of spirits is what he's talking about. One is a habitation for the presence of God. Another is a habitation for demonic spirits. We can open doors for demonic spirits to come in our home. Amen. You know that old saying? It's quiet. That old saying, if the walls could speak, maybe someday they will. Because the Bible says, New Testament, if man doesn't praise Jesus, he said, I can cause even the rocks to praise me. Make the rocks to speak praise to me. And if a God can cause a rock to speak praise to him, 
Maybe someday the walls, that old saying, if the walls could speak or if the walls could hear, maybe they have. And maybe someday they will. Okay? So we need to be careful about what we release in our home. What we say, things. Say praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. It's a voice-activated kingdom. How many of you have a happy home full of the presence of God? Or do you have a home full of horror and terror and darkness and nightmares? Man. Something about Bishop up here. He's over here doing his leg presses. His leg extensions while I'm, while I'm preaching. He just can't get away from the gym, man. He just like, <laughs> but I'm thinking about him, man. He, you know, the way they pray, they get, I get all the children, and we're gonna pray and seek God, man. Lift their voice to heaven. I guarantee you, if you go in their house, you're gonna feel God. Amen. Because it's a tabernacle of the righteous. That's where God lives. Hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. You have the atmosphere of the presence of God. You have the atmosphere of other spirits. Thank you, Jesus. What atmosphere do you have? Has anybody ever walked into your house and said, I feel God here? <laughs> or did they walk in and say, I feel the devil here? <laughs> That's what that verse is talking about, man. Got a habitation. Real stuff. See, philosopher don't want to deal with the invisible world. It's a real world. Spirit world? Yeah, it's real. It's the world you can't see is eternal. The world you can see and touch, it's temporary. It's going to pass away. But the world you can't see, that's eternal. Let your neighbor say, if the walls could hear, if the walls could speak, well, maybe they will. And what a story they will tell. <laughs> Woo, praise the Lord. What y'all learn in church tonight? Talking walls and hearing, listening walls. <laughs> really? Yeah. Watch. Here we go. <clears throat> there is a way. I got to move quickly. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Notice the singular way. The word way is singular. The way. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. Singular. But the end thereof are the ways, plural, of death. Why is it singular way, singular man, but, but plural ways, death? The reason is because every man without God believes that his way is the right way. That, therefore, you have a single man with his, his own way 
and he feels his way's the right way, and then you have plural are the ways of death. Because even though each individual man thinks that his way's the right way, they are the wrong way, and all of them end in the ways of death. There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end are the the end there of the ways of death. So you have to be very, very careful because you're not going to start thinking we're right and we'd be wrong. It's, it's our way. We feel like it's the right way. But think about every man. Every man. Thinks their way is the right way. But the end of the ways of death. Even in laughter, verse 12, the heart is sorrowful and the end of that myrrh is heaviness. How many of y'all know that laughter can only bring temporary escape? That's what he's talking about. I'll read it to you again. Even laughter, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. Y'all ever made heard someone make a say, Let's go have fun. <laughs> let's go have let's go get some fun. Let's go have some fun. Why do people say that? Because they're miserable. Let's go have some fun. Right? Why? Because I'm not happy right now. And life's not fun for me right now. So I want to go have some fun. So you go out there and you have fun. You always see these people. I've been, I've been around people a, a couple of times. And... And you look at them, and they're in the world. They don't know God, and they're laughing. <laughs> oh, they just seem so happy, <laughs> partying down. Look like they're having such a good time, and you're drinking their spirits. <laughs> and here you are fighting the good fight of faith, man. Your battle not worn, but battle tested. I had a young man tell me that. I say I was talking to him the other day at the gym. He's a minister, a uh, youth minister in another church. And I said, man, I'm battle-worn. He said, you're not battle-worn. He said, you're battle-tested. I said, okay, amen. But you know what it's like, man? You're battle-tested, right? You're going through it. And these people in the world, ah! <laughs> so happy. <laughs> you know what that is? All it is is an escape. It's a temporary escape because when they go home, that public display of laughter, the sorrow that they've got on the inside is still with them. It didn't go away. It didn't change. So they went, away, went over there and tried to have a good time and tried to act like they were having a good time. But the whole time they were laughing and acting like they were having a good time, they were miserable on the inside. So you got, you got a lot of good actors in the world, man. The only true happiness you're ever going to find is in Jesus Christ. The only true happiness you're ever going to find is with the people of God. You're not going to find it in the world. Amen. You know, there's some people, man, they got to go to a movie. Every movie that comes out, they got to go see it. I mean, every one of them. I can count, I think, two movies that I've seen in, I don't know, years and years, one was the Passion of the Christ and one was this last one, um, you can only imagine. 
And other than those two, I can't even remember a movie that I went and saw. But I'm telling you, man, there's some people, they got to go to every movie, every show, man. Why? Let's go have some fun. Okay. Popcorn. Eating popcorn, drinking Cokes and all this stuff. You know, we have, you having fun? Yeah, we have, we're having fun. You're having fun? I'm having fun. And then you walk out of the theater, you're totally miserable. He's putting on the front. See? There's a lot of real good actors, brothers and sisters, in the world. But you'll never find true happiness apart from Jesus Christ. You'll never find true happiness apart from the people of God. Hallelujah. You should, we should find our happiness in the things of God, with the people of God. Find our happiness in prayer and in the Word of God. Find our happiness in serving God Almighty. And I'm not saying going to a movie is all that bad or going out and, you know, eating and stuff. I'm just saying that you know that's only a temporary escape. Only Jesus Christ can give you true peace. Hallelujah. How many ever went to have a good time and you had your good time then... <laughs> After you had your good time, it really wasn't that great, was it? Hey, hey, come party with us, man. You know, we're going to, uh, forgive me, I'm starting to get a little bit dramatic here. But, hey, we're going to have a party, man. Come to my party. We're going to have a good time. They invite you over to the party, right? Big old party. We're going to have a good time. Have a lot of fun. And after they have their party, they go back to their misery. You only find it in God. Happiness in the people of God. Say praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. This church loves to party. You love to party. And hopefully it's because you got God in you, right? But there is a temporary happiness that people are looking for in the world. Ultimately, the sorrow is still there. Now think about Moses. In Hebrews chapter 11, we talked about Abel. Think about Moses. What? Moses had the opportunity to be the next Pharaoh of Egypt. Everybody look up here. I mean, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's hard. It's hard to look up here, but look. Moses could have been the next Pharaoh of Egypt, man. He could have enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season. And that's exactly what it is. The pleasures of sin for a season. It's only temporary. But Moses said, no. I'd rather suffer afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Somebody said, praise the Lord. He said no to that false happiness that the world offered him. And he said, yeah, I might go through some affliction, but I'm going to be with the people of God because that's where true happiness is. And at times you're going to have to make that decision, the pleasure of sin for a season, or even suffer the afflictions with the people of God. 
You can leave the church. You can leave the church. But you'll never find happiness. Because there's always going to be that inner demon. That inner pain. That inner sorrow. That will never leave you. It will be there. You can throw parties and have all your friends over. And let's have a good time. And But that misery will never leave you. It'll never go away. If you don't have God, it'll never go away from you, brothers and sisters. Because God didn't make you and He didn't make me to find satisfaction in a world without Him. He didn't make you with a heart that could find satisfaction without being in the house of God. He didn't make you that way. Amen? It's the pleasure of sin for a season. That's what it is. And how many people, man, they go for that? Temporary pleasures. Pain's still there. Verse 14. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. What am I saying? The very thing I just got through saying by the previous verse. If you leave God out of your life, let me just make it real common sense. You're not going to feel very good about yourself. On the inside, brothers and sisters, you're really going to feel really bad about why you're not living for the Lord. The backslider will be filled with his own way. This is the only place in the Word of God in the whole Bible that the term backslider is used. Backslide, backsliding in other forms of the word are used in Hosea and Jeremiah 15 times. 15 other places in the Bible those terms are used, but only in one place does the Bible ever use the term backslider. A backslider shall be filled. The backslider heart shall be filled with his own ways. There's a difference between a backslider and an apostate. The Word of God talks about apostates. Apostates are people who go away from the truth. They depart from truth. They leave the truth. That's an apostate. A backslider is somebody who no longer is a carrier of the truth. They haven't necessarily left it or rejected it. Amen? That's apostasy. So you have to understand the difference. A person who is a backslider, well, they'll keep talking about how they believe. You know? But they're no longer living it. They're no longer living the truth that they believe. That's a backslider. You can be, you can be a backslider, not apostate. To be apostate, to leave the truth altogether. To be a backslider is mean you're no longer living the truth you know. Okay? To be a backslider means that you have lost ground 
that once was occupied by the Lord in your life. To backslide away from what you used to walk in, the things of God. Backslider in heart, as it says. It starts in the heart first. Your mind. The Bible talks about the heart. Same thing, the mind, the will, the emotions. It starts in your mind. People don't backslide out of the church overnight. It starts in the heart. It starts in the mind. If you and I don't bring quick self-judgment, self-judgment to wrong thinking, you judge that. No, that's not right. That's not God. I, I can't think like that. i got to judge that. Your, your thinking's wrong. Then that mind left to itself, not judged, self-judged will we'll move to a place of defilement. Pretty soon the heart is defiled. And after the heart is defiled, the next step is a loss of your testimony. You lose your testimony. So if you start drifting, you start backsliding in heart first, your mind's thinking wrong, you're starting to get defiled in your thinking, unclean, you're starting to lose your testimony, the way to stop that is to judge yourself right then. Judge it, judge it. No, that's not right. I'm, I'm not thinking right. I can't go down that road. I can't let myself go down that road. I can't think like that. I'm about to lose my testimony. I'm losing my walk with God. The perfect to me, the perfect example of, of the backslider in the Word of God that helps all of us, keeps us all on the right path, is a man by the name of Elimelech in the book of Ruth. Elimelech. The Bible tells us there came a time in Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and praise, that famine came. Thirteen times in your Bible, the Bible talks about a famine came. And every time that a famine comes in the Word of God, it was a direct judgment from God upon His people's backsliding. Famine hit. Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and praise. Can you imagine famine in the place of the house of bread and praise? Famine hit. And so what did Elimelech do? He said, well, he looked around and he made a decision. He said, I'm leaving town. I'm leaving the house of bread and praise. I'm leaving the church. And he made a decision 
to no longer be in fellowship with the people of God. And he took his wife, Naomi, and his two sons to Moab. No longer in fellowship with the people of God. In a place that, according to the book of Deuteronomy, had the curse of God upon it. This was his way of coping with the famine that had hit the land. Instead of waiting patiently on God and trusting God, making it through, he made a rash decision, took his family out of the house of bread and praise and went to the place of cursing. And was no longer, that family was no longer in fellowship with the people of God, backslid in Moab. He didn't know when he made that decision what was going to happen. No doubt when he got his family up and left Bethlehem Judah and went over to Moab, he had a happy hope, hopeful intention. Things looked brighter for him. But when he got there, in that bad, slidden state, the Bible says his two sons ended up in marriage. They married in the world. They married Moabites, people in the world. And their marriage led to misery. The Bible says both of them, in fact all three, Elimelech, and his two sons, all three of them died. So we went from marriage to misery to death. And all three of them, Elimelech and his two sons, I want you to hear this, died in a backslidden state. They never made it back to the house of bread and praise. They never made it back to the place where they were in fellowship with God. They died in a backslidden state. Boaz, on the other hand, in the book of Ruth, he made a different decision. The time of famine hit the land, Boaz said, I'm not leaving the house of bread and praise but I'm going to stay right here. And he stayed. By faith, he stayed. And God got him through the famine years. And revival came back to the, the house of bread and praise. And the Bible says that Boaz planted and he had huge harvest, huge blessings, and he ended up being the ancestor of not only David, but Jesus Christ himself because he had the faith to stay in the time of famine. Naomi barely made it back to Bethlehem, Judah. When she got back, they said, is this not Naomi? And Naomi looked at them and she said, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me sweet. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. 
She said, because the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. There is no good outcome ever that ever comes to us when we make a decision to get out of fellowship with the people of God. It leads to misery. Sometimes your children marrying in the world. And then death. And by the grace of God Almighty, if one of that family is saved, makes it back. I preached a long time ago a message called Bittersweet. Years ago. And the woman said, she came, she was visiting our church, she said, Pastor, she said, I've said that about myself for years, what you preach tonight. She said, that's me, that's me. Bitter, sweet. There's nothing good that comes out of backsliding but bitterness. Before you and I put ourselves in a position of allowing our heart to begin to drift away from God Almighty, you judge that, put it under the blood, say, no, Lord, I'm armed with the Word of God. I'm armed with a promise. I'm staying in the house of bread and praise even through difficult times. And eventually, brothers and sisters, I'll tell you what will happen. God will send revival. And the blessings of God will come to your life. And if I happen tonight to be preaching to somebody and I hear the Holy Ghost preaching to somebody, you know what it's like to backslid at some point in your walk with God. And you made it back. And you can testify. But you had to do it all over again, you would have never done it. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Praise God. Famine comes. Difficult times come. But be Boaz, and revival will come. The blessings will come. Hallelujah! Be faithful to the end. But just remember the Word of God. The Bible says it starts in the heart. And no wonder in the book of Hebrews, I've been preaching to you on Sunday morning. The writer, the preacher of the book of Hebrews says, don't quit, continue, finish, keep going. All the way to the end! I believe the Word of God today. Backslider and heart shall be filled with his own ways. I promise you today that nobody that had backslid. I'm not talking about apostasy. Apostasy is to go away from the truth completely. I'm talking about backsliding. Nobody that backslides can truly say I'm happy today. It might look like a great prospect. It might look good. It might look like a good decision. But if it's not in the will of God, you'll be filled with your own ways. Thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ. 
So many things a person can go through in life that cause you to lose heart, <laughs> become faint-hearted. Jesus, stop it in the name of the Lord. Amen. Repent. Put a, find God in your sorrow. And keep on living for Him. Keep on serving Him. Or we might stand by Your grace someday. And have to say, they died in Moab in a backslidden state. Remember, we're not declaring that you apostatize. We have to declare you backslid. I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. There's, there's no life like living for Jesus Christ. And you're going to have struggles. You're going to have battles in life. And that's a part of living. There's bitterness in every man's heart. You've got bitterness. But you find God in it. Hallelujah. I'm going to find God in it. And that Moab, Moab. Was, listen, Moab was right on the border of Israel. That means it's constantly inviting. Come on, on join us. Moab is the top of the flesh. Real close to you. That's why you have to judge your heart and your mind when it starts going astray. Somebody said praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I could, I could let you go home right now. I believe God has spoken to us. I believe God's helping us. And I believe God's helping us. He's helping me. He's helping me. You know why He's helping me? Because I want the Word of God. And it, listen, it's easy for me to understand what I just said is not complicated. You can try to make it complicated and twist it and make it out to be something else with a different outcome. But when I preach the Word of God, it's simple. I understand it. You say, that's not me. Well, okay. All right. Your philosophy. I preached you a simple message with simple examples. And God says, learn from them. Hallelujah. Say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Elimelech wasn't a wise man. He was not a wise man. The decisions he made. The simple believe every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. Amen. That means simply this. Prove things. Don't believe everything that you hear. Prove things. Especially when it comes to the Word of God. Don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You, you need to make sure it's in the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Some religions are all around you. Different religions, different points of view. All around us all the time. Don't believe everything. Test it by the Word of God. I'm going to test it by the Word of God. 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Get them. How, can I, how can I test it? How can I prove if what's being said is true or not? Well, it's going to have some very basic factors to it. And um, Brother Jonathan or Brother Lemon, uh, Timothy, get it for me. 1 John Four, one through three. Okay. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Read. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. 
stop. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that means God came incarnate. The flesh is the incarnation of God in flesh. His humanity. Read. Is not of God. Antichrist. Right? Yes. Yes. Woo. Yes. Then he that's in the world. Right? Yes. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So the basic thing is somebody comes and talks to you. They're going to uphold, listen, both the humanity of Jesus Christ and His deity. Both of them. Okay? That God was manifested in the flesh. If somebody doesn't teach that doctrine, the Bible says they're not of God. You have to declare the deity of Jesus as well as His humanity, the humanity of Jesus as well as His deity. And when you do that, you're also going to preach His finished work, everything that He's done, what it means, and apply it to the life. Praise God. And that's how you know. Okay, let's go. So you're going to have to test it. You're going to have to... Don't believe every word. Especially the word of God. You need to be sure. Okay, a wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rageth and is confident. Amen? Yeah, right. Yeah, I fear, you fear God, you, you'll, you'll, you'll depart from evil. But the, but the fool rages, man. They're confident. They're full of self-confidence, man. You know? They don't need to change. They don't need to repent. They don't need to get right. But a wise man fears and departs from evil. The fool, he doesn't feel like he needs anything. He won't ever say he's sorry. He'll never say he's sorry. He'll never say he's wrong. Verse 17, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. This dealing with anger here. You better be, we have to be careful about anger. The Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. There are some things that you need to be angry about. It's called righteous indignation. But there are some things that are fleshly anger that are very destructive to your life. You let anger and bitterness get a hold of you, angry, it will destroy you. You know why? Because ultimately, that emotion called anger, it's not a righteous indignation, it will open doors to the spirit world like no other emotion. You're just saying, come on in. Have you ever noticed, not that y'all ever got angry or lost your temper, have you ever noticed when you, if you do, if you have, you lost your temper, how all of a sudden you got in a place you couldn't even believe you went? You know why? Because as soon as you lifted that door called anger, then spirits started coming in there, man. And they stirred it up, and they stirred it up, and they stirred it up. That's why a lot of times people end up dead. Because they, the anger, it started out, they were just, a, you know, angry, fussing. Pretty soon, man, it elevated to murder. Why? 
Because that door, spirits love to come through that door. They'll destroy your, they'll destroy your walk with God. They'll take you out of the church of Jesus Christ. And when it does, you're going to look at yourself and say, why did I do that? The reason why is because you didn't get control of your anger. Anger is a very destructive force. It destroy you. Say amen. You just, just get so mad. I'm just fed up. I'm just done with it all. You know. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been there. Very destructive. Verse 18, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. I think we got that down. The evil bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. So remember, someday, someday, evil's going to bow to good. It's, at some point, it's all going to bow to good, to what's right. Verse 20, the poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends. Praise the Lord. Y'all ever seen that in your life? You have a, you know, a bunch of money or whatever. You get a brand new car and People, I'm your friend. Can I drive? Can I ride in your car? Can I drive your car? Wow, man! You know, people, you don't even know they're your friends. All of a sudden, they become your friends. That's why you want to be careful. You're driving a nice, fancy hot rod, and this girl likes you. No, she probably likes your car. Because <laughs> if you drove up in an old clunker, she probably wouldn't even get in the car with you. Because she, <laughs> it wasn't about you. It's about that Corvette. Hallelujah. I mean, I, I've seen some really ugly dudes in my life that had some, like, vets and stuff driving. Man, they had really, really good-looking girls, man. And it, it, couldn't, it had nothing to do with him, the, the, the car he was driving. I promise you, as soon as he lose the car, he'd lose her too. Not true friends. They're not true friends. Say, praise the Lord. Some people that aren't true friends. I want to say it again. Some people that are not your friend. Where were they before you had money and you bought their supper and dinner or lunch and breakfast and did all these wonderful things for them? Now that you got money, oh yeah, you're your friend now because you can go pick them up and take them out to eat all the time and pay the meal ticket. And yeah, they're your friend. Sure, anybody wants a free ride, free ride, free meal ticket. Anybody, I'm your friend. Man, I'll be your friend, Brother Andrew, if you take me out to eat tonight. Of course I will. But what happens when all the money's gone? You don't have wheels, and you're sitting at home, and they're driving around, you wonder why they don't come pick you up. They weren't true friends at all. It was all about the money you had. That's all it was. He's a prodigal son's a perfect example of that. Luke chapter 15, the Bible says the prodigal son got his inheritance, he got his money, and guess where he went? To a far country. That's Moab, spiritually speaking. That's the, that's the place that Elimelech went. He went to the far country. And when he go to that far country, he had this all this money, and he, the Bible said he he wasted all of it. Man, he partied. When he got back home, it was said, I don't know if it's true. I believe it was. When he got back home, they said, the brother said, 
Man, he spent all the money on prostitutes and, you know, he just had a big old time hard party down. No doubt spent all of his money on his friends buying drinks and, ooh, they had, he had a great time. Until guess what? The Bible says it was all gone. And he's looking around, and guess what? There's no friends. Because the so-called friends he had before had left him. The party's over. And he's looking for one friend, and he goes to a man, and he thinks that man's going to be his friend. When he gets there, that man leads him to a hog pen. He wasn't his friend. Led him to a hog pen. The Bible said he about starved to death. And the Bible says he came to himself. He started thinking. He started talking to himself. Started thinking right. Backslider got his mind under control. He started judging the situation. And he said, you know what? He said, the servants in my daddy's house live better than I live. Hallelujah. In my father's house, <laughs> servants are doing better than me. He said in his, self, in his mind, his heart, he's, 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 playing, he's acted it all out in his heart. When I get back there, I'm going to tell my dad. I'm going to say, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hard ser hired servants. He had it all planned out. He's penniless now. He gets up out of that hog pen one day and he says, I'm going back home. I'm going back to the Father. And you know the, 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 the Father had to be looking for him. Because the Bible said his, the Father saw him afar off. That means he looked for him every day. Every day. Sitting on the back porch of his house. Is he coming home today? Is he coming home today? He looked, he looked, he looked. Go to bed at night and his son still hadn't come home. Every day he'd get up, he'd be looking. Is my son coming home today? And all of a sudden he saw his son while he was a great way off. And the Bible says he got up and he ran to his son. He must have been looking for him. He fell on his neck. Kissed him. The kiss of reconciliation. The kiss of restoration. Kissed him. Brought him back. His son is about ready to tell him, Dad, he just made me as one of your hired servants. Daddy said, before he can get those words out of his mouth, he said, this my son, which was lost, now is found. He said, go get the best robe. The robe, the best robe. The robe of fellowship. Go get some shoes for his feet. We speak of respect. Go get a ring, which is authority to make transactions. And put that ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and a robe on him. And go, we're going to kill the fatty calf and we're going to celebrate because this my son which was lost is found. And what did that prodigal find when he got back home? He found your true friend is God. 
Your true friend is Jesus. Your true friend, my brothers and sisters, they're the people of God. That's your true friends. And some of I tell you today, the Father, God is sitting on the back porch. And he's still looking for some prodigals to come through the front door or the back door of this church. And when they walk back, when they come, they're going to be greeted. Hallelujah. And they're going to find out, you know, they probably already know. But they're going to find out a true friend is in God. A true friend is in the people of God. Say praise the Lord. I love him. I love him, don't you? I love him. I love him. There's nobody like him. There's no friend like Jesus. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You can rely on him, brother and sister. He's a real friend. He's a true friend. He won't forsake you. He won't forsake you. He remembers the days when you had more, maybe more to offer. Maybe you don't have as much today to offer as you used to, but he's still your friend. Say praise the Lord. I believe it, man. I believe it. My Jesus is my friend. My friend. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm looking at some friends here tonight. Real friends. I, I can count on you. I said, I can count on you. I can depend on you. Amen. That's right. Amen. So people today, you know, the father didn't chase the son. He let him go. Let him do his thing. He left it in the hands of God. And the son came home. And that's hard to do, is it? He's just put it in the hands of God. You know, it's a wonderful man of God that I've talked to. Young man. He's a minister in a big church in Odessa. Uh, and uh, he was he was talking to me. He said, "You know," he said, "the hardest thing that we we and he said I tell the young people that I pastor." He said, "the hardest thing that we do is plant a seed and leave it alone." He said, "because God's the only one that can make it grow. One plants, one waters, but God gives the increase." And the hardest thing for you and me to do is to know that we planted a seed in somebody's life and then just step back and let God make it grow. That's what that young man told me. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. But I walked after I talked to him and he went, we talked for about an hour in, in, in that gym and, and we separated and I, I was working out and finishing up and he went and worked out and I felt the Holy Ghost speak to me. And so I went to him and I said, Mark, he's 30 years old. He told me that he had an offer to be, to work for a, a relative. I think it was Merrill Lynch. Uh, his relative's way up there. He got an opportunity to make huge amounts of money. But he had a dream in the middle of the night. God said, no, I've called you into the ministry. He said, you ought to turn that down. This young man in his 20s turned that money down to stay in the ministry. 
I said, Mark, I'm going to tell you something. I said, the revelation that comes out of your mouth and the things that you say are powerful. They come from God. God rewarded you because you made the right decision. That was the right decision. So I went to that young man and he shared some things with me that are so powerful. I said, they're going to come out of my mouth, Mark, because there's what you're telling me my church needs to hear. And I was over there and the Lord spoke to me. He said, no, you go and you have him come and preach at your church. And I've been witnessing to him about Jesus' name, baptism. All he knows right now is the Holy Ghost. He has the Holy Ghost. But he's faithful. Okay? He's in a church. They don't, they don't necessarily practice the preaching of holiness that standard that we have. Okay? But he's really open to baptism in Jesus' name. I told him, Mark, I said, I'll baptize you in Jesus' name and you can keep being a minister where you are. I'm not asking you to join my church. I just want you to be baptized right. And I said, because of the decision you made, the faith that you have toward God, the decision that you made, God's going to make sure you've got everything you need. And I said, maybe I've just got a little piece that I need to give to you. And you stay right where you are. I said, I want you to come and preach. He told me, he said, he looked at me and he said, well, he said, I've got to ask my pastor. He said, because I'm under his authority. And I said, that's a good thing. Hallelujah. There's some people that haven't bowed their knees to bow. I know I'm getting long-winded. So he's maybe I'll see him tomorrow night and maybe his pastor will give the okay. And if he does, then he, he's going to be ministering, Lord willing, Sunday night. We'll see how, how it goes. But I want to tell you something. When God speaks to me, I obey Him. Okay? And if He does come and preach, He'll, he'll have a beard. That doesn't mean we've compromised. It means I've obeyed. Okay? And I told him, I said, I want you to come and preach and I want you to share what you shared with me because I know it will bless our church. And I said, I want you to experience the power that's in our church because he's looking for a real New Testament church. And so it's reciprocal. Hallelujah. I believe that God's got a plan. Say amen. Praise the Lord. So if he preaches, y'all just, y'all just go bananas like you normally do. And amen. But he's, he's just such a wonderful, wonderful 30-year-old young man made huge commitments for God to be in the ministry. And he's got his pulse. He's got his finger on the pulse, man, of youth, what's going on in their minds and things. And So, all right. So, uh, you know, I'm willing to, to uh, accept your criticism to be in the will of God. Say, well, I can't, the pastor won't let us have beers, but he let this man come preach. he got a beer. I'm going to obey God whether you know you you agree with me or not. Okay, so Amen. Because God judges a person where they are, and uh, anyway, so that don't mean if it happens, don't mean you get to go grow one, women. I mean men. And let me just say this, honey, child, juicy fruit, sugar plum, cantaloupe.
that if I let a woman up here and preach and she is in the process of moving in truth and she's got the Holy Ghost and she's got makeup on her, all right? Don't sit there and go. <gasps> Don't close your eyes the whole time. You say, man, pastor must have lost his mind. No, I obey God. Okay? And then with time, we work with them. If we have the opportunity, we work with the ministries and bring them into, into more truth. That don't mean, that don't mean that if I let them up here and they, well, you said they're giving a mixed signal. No, not to you or me. I know what I believe and you've been taught. So if that happens, you don't go home and start putting your makeup and your long eyelashes back on and, you know what I'm saying, look like helter-skelter. You know better. You have your identity in Jesus Christ. Well. And what guy, what young guy, he's not in here. You know, he's a minister. I guess he's still a minister. I don't know if he still is or not. I think he is. And I love him. I still love him. I don't want to criticize him too much. But, you know, he's started doubting in his mind holiness and things like that. And I don't think he's, a, he's preaching an apostolic holiness church the church he started, I don't think his holiness. But anyway, and he questioned me about, you know, makeup on women. He said, well, what about Pastor Ingosa? Bad choice. Bad example. Because Pastor Ingosa has not had the opportunity to be taught, huh, Pastor? But you see what I go through? The wacko stuff I deal with? <laughs> Yeah, well, pa Pastor goes. She's powerful. I know. She was powerful before. I know. Amen. But there's called progressive revelation. All right. Okay. So do I have to explain everything to you? Only babies. Okay. You don't like it. I'll let you know Sunday morning that he's coming. And who knows, God might move on and he might shave. But if he don't, I'll let you know Sunday morning. That way you can stay home, stupid. And I do mean stupid. That wasn't, that wasn't a slide of tongue. I mean stupid. Okay, so anyway, I better get back in the Word of God here, huh? How did I get on that? God's good. Where are we in the Bible? Do y'all know? Proverbs 14. 19. We're in Proverbs 19. <laughs> this is bad. Okay. Can I do, the reason why I can say stupid is because some of y'all are just looking for something. Okay. And guess what? Can I tell you something? I the pastor. I the pastor. 
so I can have whoever I want to come up here and stand behind this pulpit. I don't answer to you about that. This pulpit belongs to God and me. Okay? So don't ever forget I the pastor. If you see something that you don't agree with, just say he the pastor and it's on him. Okay? That's what you do. I remember I was assistant pastor to a pastor in Crane and I got in the car with some people and they started complaining about the pastor doing something. You know, the pastor not doing something. And I got up on in their face. I wasn't even the pastor. And I said, I'm going to tell you something. He's the pastor. You better watch it. You like it or you don't like it. He's still the pastor. You better watch your spirit. Amen. Yeah. So everybody say, he the pastor. He the pastor. That'll help you a lot in life. Okay? So, well, I think it ought to be done like that. But guess what? You're not the pastor. Okay? Good, bad, or indifferent. Whatever. Praise the Lord. And you know, I'm up here wasting your time because he might, the pastor, his pastor might not let anything come. So I'm just wasting your time. But not really not because I'm getting to preach some principles to you. That way, the informant in the church that I got in here can text out real quick, send messages. Oh, pastor, he's compromising what he's always preached. He's got a man with a beard. Stupid. Could I tell you something? Stop doing it behind my back. Bring it up here and I'll finish, I'll finish the message for you. And I'll say, this is coming from the informant, but I just want you to know it's coming from pastor too. And send, I'll send it for you, you stupid idiot. And I'm going to send some, some, those faces going, eh, eh. With tongue. That's right. And some other choice signals that I won't show you. And then I'm going to write at the end, come get it. Get you some. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you know what you do? Somebody from another church asks you how we're doing. You know what you do? You know what Brother Dixon said to do? You know, because all they're doing is they're fishing. Okay, so if they come and say, "How y'all doing?" Oh man, we're we're about to close the doors. I mean, it's really bad, you know. Just <laughs> 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 brother Dixon said, 
Somebody came and asked him, how's the church going on, man? He said, oh, it's, it's really bad, man. But I just shut the door. It's just so bad, you know. And they're having an awesome revival of it, you know, anyway. <laughs> I told Brother Dixon, I texted him. I said, you're coming this year, you know, so get ready. So Brother Dixon will be with us sometime. Last I, last I heard, I don't think he has a beard. He knows better. Are y'all all right? What time is it? It's 9.30. I need to let you go home. I need. So let me see if I want to read anymore. The poor is hated even... We already covered verse 20. Yeah. The poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends. He that despise the neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor happy is he. You despise people in status. By status means being partial. You have that kind of spirit about you. It's a sin against God. When you come, everybody comes to God, God, God has a leveling effect on everybody. Okay? So don't judge somebody based on their status. Because if you do, then you have respect for persons and you are sinning against God Almighty. If you show this favor to somebody that's got money, and something that James talks about, a poor man comes in and you put him on the back row. The rich man comes in, you put him on the front row. James said, that's wicked. Sinful. Hey, go despise people's status, man. The kingdom of God's level has an leveling effect. There's one door in the ark. Only one way in the kingdom. One door. Everything that's high has to fly down in the ark. Everything that's down low has to climb up. The gospel has a leveling effect. Say praise the Lord. Well, what else are you going to do? It's 9.30. What else are you going to do? Go to the movie. Verse 22, do they not err that devise evil, but mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. Amen. And I'm not going to preach that. I was going to, but y'all are getting tired and you want to go home and I'll preach that Psalm 85 sometime in the future. Okay. Amen. What that means. Verse 23, in all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to punery. That means talk is cheap. Verse 24, the crown of the wise is that riches is the riches, but the foolishest of fools is folly. Amen? Wisdom will bring you wealth. Good decisions will bring you prosperity. Hallelujah. People are prosperous because they've got some wisdom about them in some cases. Amen? But a foolish man makes bad decisions, and as a result of that, he has the results of that. Verse 25, A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. How many of y'all are saviors of people and not destroyers of people? Verse 26, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and His children shall have a place of refuge. God will give you security if you love Him, you serve Him. Security in God. Verse 28, In the multitude of people is the king's honor. And now verses 28 through 35, it has to do with the palace. Okay? The multitude of the people is the king's honor, but the want of people is the destruction of the prince. Right? Okay, this is a picture of the palace. So, Anyway, you got a multitude of people that you're a king over. Supposedly to show that, you know, you're powerful or whatever. But you know, there's some people that are kings on title only. And if your subjects don't recognize your authority, but it's a title. A title is nothing. A title is nothing if people don't recognize your authority. Amen? Amen? People that are willing to recognize that authority. All right? 
Verse 29, he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. The wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding, but that which is in the midst of fools is made known. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causes shame. Amen. That's why you want to be very careful. If you've got the ear of somebody in authority, you want to be very careful about the advice you give them. Because if they listen to that advice and take your advice, and they're in positions of authority, I mean, it's wrong, it'll bring shame. And if it brings shame, that means it's going to bring wrath on your head. Okay? So just be careful. Those of you who have positions on your job, uh, in any place in life, you've got the ear of very powerful people, important people, people in authority, they listen to you. Be careful about the advice you give them. Okay? Because if you give them the wrong advice... Bad, bad results come, it's coming on you. You give them good advice, they'll be happy with you. That's what it's saying, okay? So praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love y'all. Would you stand? <clears throat> oh, Jesus. Father, we praise you tonight. We ask you to cleanse us with your blood of all evil, sin, evil words, evil action, evil thoughts. Hear our hearts, Father, we pray with Your Word tonight. Father, we ask, God, that You would place Your Word deep within our heart, especially those areas of Scripture that You put so much emphasis upon tonight. Oh, Father, let us walk in the truth. Let us be wise. That we may be blessed. We thank You for the book of Proverbs that teaches us Your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God